Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Hello, hello. Jake Gunkelman. <coughs> Uh, the puff is a little bit uh, <laughs> animated, shall I say? Uh, he's jumping around here, uh, so I'm going to probably end up being uh, muted when I'm not directly involved. <laughs> hey, the puff's uh, part of the podcast, my friend. Uh, well, he's he's definitely part of the room activity. I thought I would get him quieted down by giving him a piece of dried chicken. I mean, it's like a chicken jerky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dried chicken breast strips. And, you know, he, I, I toss it. He, you'd think he would, like, treat it like something to eat, but he jumps around it and attacks it for a while, and then finally oh, he'll start to chew, chew on it and eat it. But, oh, I, I thought he would pop it like an aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's getting big enough, you'd think he would. You know? Yeah, yeah. 75 pounds already. He's just now eight months. Oh my. And he'll be about 100 pounds at a year and probably top off around 120 as a full mature. They, they put on a little bit of extra weight, you know. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> you know? I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> so we, we, had a, we had a comment on our show already. Uh, the, uh, we just started today. We already have a comment? Yeah. They, well, here, let me, uh, let me just read it here. Maybe this is... I'd love for your channel to do a couple of videos. One would be what interventions could a person do on their own to counteract issues such as TBI, ischemia, etc. The second would be what food supplements, chemicals can a person use to help alleviate, heal some of these issues understanding that might not necessarily be in your collective wheelhouse true but the average tbi brain issue person doesn't typically hear practical tips for specific issues thanks that's coming from mark meme all right who, who, uh, it's, it's a good idea thing. you know you know michael pierce yep um he would be a good one to have on to talk about the supplements and that sort of additional uh biochemical aspect of assisting somebody with the tbi right uh, but you know talking about uh treatment and uh t tbi and eeg and all that we can definitely cover that as a as an issue and you know, and uh, the, the ability to recover from the ischemia is extremely well documented that we have uh, uh, multiple cases with the pre-post data uh, showing that uh, the ischemic uh, features in EG are gone you know not not just attenuated but just they're gone and I do recall a lot of bad art has been done on ischemia by one Jay Gunkelman <laughs> yes I I'm the world's worst artist <laughs> good enough <laughs> good enough for us <laughs> yeah i have it i have the excuse you know i cut those four fingers off right and had to put back on but it's it's just an excuse my penmanship and stuff wasn't that great prior to the 
the re removal and re replacement, you know. You know, if uh, yeah. if uh, the humankind constantly evolves, if that's true, why isn't there a finger coming out of her upper lip? <laughs> so, uh, oh, you like that? Okay, even more. So, uh, Ozempic back in the news, Jay. Uh, it's a great on-off switch for the anterior cingulate, huh? They're saying it cuts down uh, drinking, uh, craving, and craving. It, 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 it's a a basic uh motivational location and and it's if it's cutting down on craving for food could also cut down on other cravings addiction it has the anterior cingulate in one third of the drug addicted population they're not over aroused as a drive they're not trying to stabilize and calm themselves with the drugs uh, they have an anterior cingulate feature and that that is a driving addiction ends up not responding to the posterior alpha theta training. They have to treat that at the frontal midline. We published a, a, an N of 30 outcome at one year follow up and uh, had 100 percent of them still clean and sober. But we we only did the treatment based on the EEG phenotypes. Uh, we, we didn't do the treatments based on the fact that they were addicted and the alpha theta has been shown to be have a f efficacy and, and it does have efficacy in, in addiction. We, we based their uh, treatment based on their phenotypes. Two thirds of them got alpha theta based on the phenotypes they had of over arousal, fast alpha, alpha theta training, uh, low voltage, fast EEG, alpha theta training, beta excess in EEG, alpha theta training. But the other one third of the addicted population had an anterior cingulate failure. And that you have to treat that up front. You know, the anterior cingulate's up here, not at the back of the head. And, and uh, the, the fact that we ended up with everybody treated is an unreasonably high expectation. You know, Peniston had 70%. That's the two thirds that have the alpha theta as the match. And, you know, we just basically found the other drive mechanism and treated both drives in these people based you know basing our intervention on their uh, on their phenotype not based on their behavioral dsm categorization as an addicted person that regardless of what they would have been complaining about their their phenotype drove the treatment or well, the training uh, that was being done it it wouldn't have mattered if they came in with a different complaint that the, the, the training was basically directly described in the 2005 paper. If you have this phenotype, you get this treatment. So uh, it, it was a validation in, uh, in a large respect of the, the predictive value of the phenotypes anyway. Dr. Marie, thank you for showing up. How are you? Good morning, I'm well. How about you two? We're, we're, we're talking about the miracle drug Ozempic and all the wonderful things it can do. And there's an article out there. It says, Hey, can cut down uh, on, on drinking or cravings yeah. for having yeah. that. Yeah. And it's all about the motivational aspect of the anterior singular craving. Yeah. Dirk DeRitter uh, ended up showing the, the effect on craving uh, very nicely. So uh, it, it's something that we've actually got, um, 
you know, outcome studies uh, on 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 um, uh, eating disorder craving specifically, and you know, there's lots of different kinds of cravings, but uh, his his study was specifically on uh, those with uh, severe eating disorders and their experience of craving. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, in terms of, you know, the way people in our profession look at the brain, you know, we have broader classifications of what a, a phenotype or a signature um, can can draw us to. Um, most lay people, when they think of addiction, they think of, you know, essentially cocaine and heroin, followed by um, alcohol. But even alcohol, we talk about alcoholism. We don't necessarily talk about addiction to alcohol. Um, even in terms of the ter terms, it's alcohol use disorder. So, I mean, I think a lot of this just boils down to semantics and labeling. Uh, but when the brain is um, master wheel driving, as Jay said, a craving, that can be anything. Um, and I mean, the one thing we're not even talking about is food restriction right you know and, you know we always talk about the consumption but sometimes there's all uh, there's also the restriction yeah so that's where the um you know what what i tend to call signatures i think more broadly we we, we talk about phenotypes it's critical to look at that if you're going to be targeting through neurotherapy one yeah. thing though about a zempic um you know i i, I you know I'm not completely anti-pharma. There is a place for it. Um, but one of the things they've kind of shown about it is, you know, once you're on it, you're on it for life. Um, meaning you drop some nice weight if you're um, uh, morbidly obese. Um, but once you stop it, it all comes back. Um, and a big difference uh, with um, EEG intervention is we make really solid changes in the um, the neurophysiology where, you know, people might come back for booster sessions here and there, but generally, you know, once it's fixed, it's fixed. You know, a person has much, yeah. much more control. Now, iMinds is a book on internet addiction. That's one, a few chapters are on, on that, Dr. Marie. Do you think this Ozempic can cut down internet addiction, uh, gambling? That that I'm just one. I'm just throwing it out there. If it can cut down on cravings, well, I have a craving to go play the slots. You think it can help? Yeah, with I mean these these are million dollar questions. I mean we have substance addictions, we have behavioral addictions, and we have process addictions. Um, and one of the huge things uh, about you know interactive screen, you know addiction per se. Uh, is, you know, a great component of that is actually process. Um, you know, I, I think it hooks in much stronger to the arousal template, um, that the cycles are much, much, much faster, you know, in terms of when we're putting our, our phones or our, our computers up and down. Um, no, I mean, it would be really, really interest, uh, interesting. The other thing is, is content, right? So um, I think one of the reasons why um, I'm, not, I'm not saying the issue eludes the public a little bit more is it's I, I think it's much more complex than a lot of the quote unquote standard addictions. You know, if you have an alcohol uh, problem, you have an alcohol problem. That's kind of it. Uh, the other big, big thing is this is, you know, abstinence is not an option. You know, you need interactive technology to function in the real world. You want it. It's not all evil. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, 
I, who knows? But I, I'm not sure I'd look to pharma for this one. I, I'd look to, you know, cultural change. Well, it's definitely everybody's talking about it. Everybody's on it. Uh, the compound uh, pharmacies are making a killing while they're still open. Uh, yeah. I, I guess it just proves the concept that a flip can be switched. It's just, a you know, what, what is your medium of flipping that switch? A drug or a neurofeedback, right? So, Does anybody can... know, by the way, are there any long-term studies? Because we do know that um, some pharma interventions, you know, you need more and more and some stop uh, working, uh, while others, um, you just stay on the same regimen throughout your life and you're your AO, um, epilepsy, uh, drugs, for example, you know, slow, steady, uh, same dosage throughout your, your life. And, oh, you know, okay, not, <laughs> again, we should talk about neurotherapy and epilepsy, because I think it's a air quote, better solution. Um, but, but other um, uh, pharmaceuticals, certain classes of antidepressants are the classic example. Sleep aids, classic example. You need more and more and more, and then they stop working. Does anybody uh, on this panel know about long term? Fun, fun. <laughs> Let it dead out. Let's let's look at the brain activity of a, a, an alcoholic. Okay, and and watch the process of alcohol consumption yeah. on that brain activity cool. so uh th this is uh screen share uh du jour um and uh what we basically see is at the upper band here you can see from 8 to 12 hertz these are z scores so they're minus they're missing their alpha they're they have a low voltage fast EEG and they have a deficit of alpha. And, and this is at time zero, no alcohol yet. Time one, two shots, well, two ounces of alcohol. You can see they're starting to make some alpha content. Two more shots, now they're making alpha. You may start here. Four shots in, they get to where you started. And obviously, if they continue, uh, the the last uh, bit of, of this, uh, the, the alpha starts to slow and um, uh, like a normal person. So they're six shots in before they have the same effect as two shots on you. So uh, the, the over arousal pattern, the low voltage fast pattern is, is uh, a, a classic uh, is seen in, in alcoholics and in families of alcoholics. There's a genetic link, gene number four, uh, which controls GABA-A receptors. And you produce so many receptors, you can't saturate them with enough GABA to calm your nervous system. So what we see is people that run into something that will give them GABA, like alcohol, or nowadays there are so many other alternatives. And they, they will become addicted to it because it normalizes their function. It feels really good to have a calm centered nervous system so uh th this person who ran into alcohol and made their alpha will come back and find alcohol again and unfortunately um it's a slippery slope when you have to be six shots in in, in order to be normalized um yeah. 
uh, we we basically this is the low voltage fast EEG. You can see again uh, Z scores, and this is from one uh, on up to twenty hertz. And you can see there's <coughs> pardon me less slow content than normal. And as you get up into the uh, twenty hertz or so, it starts to normalize into the normal range. Uh, but this is a low uh, voltage. Even in individuals who do EDR. have the the gene for alcoholism uh, running within the family, is the it, why people fall into alcoholism is the inability to mitigate family stress or family dynamics. Um, so it's not just about the genes, and we focus way too much on the genes. So fifty percent of alcoholics do not have the gene. Fifty percent of alcohol. People with the gene, uh, same thing, and it's the inability to mitigate family stress that's the tipping point. The image in front of us is a fast alpha person. You can see uh, that this is uh, eight, nine, ten. They have none of that really, and they start up at eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. There, this is fast alpha, which is also an over arousal, and for fast alpha over arousal. Uh, you, you basically end up teaching them slow alpha, uh, and and then obviously possibly alpha theta is a crossover, but uh, th this is uh, one of the uh, endophenotypic uh, clusters, the, the the fast alpha basically, and you can also see that fast alpha sits uh, rather strongly left frontally, uh, which is normally going to give them a difficulty with mood regulation. Yeah. Uh, it's not all traditional alpha band frontally. Here's one that's outside the traditional alpha band left frontal, but uh, that that area not working properly gives you uh, affective regulatory disturbance. Um, beta spindles in the EG. Uh, the how did it come out when we did our work with the thirty? Uh, very similar to Dr. Griselier's work, alpha-theta training decreased the over-arousal patterns, and very much like Marco Congito's work, uh, anterior cingulate EEG improvements are seen in changes in the obsessive-compulsive uh, behavioral. Um, we, we could do Woodcock-Johnson 3 at one-year follow-up. And so addiction treatment, and then one year follow-up, you can finally do this at follow-up. All 30 people, all still clean and sober. And they had a normal GIA, which is the Woodcock-Johnson equivalent of IQ. And after uh, the neurofeedback, uh, they were at a 120. That's a 21-point standard score jump in IQ. Outside the range that you could, you could predict as something that somebody could achieve. Normally, IQ changes don't come in that size of, of a jump. So this, this is a, a, a tremendous improvement. And you can see the raw uh, distributions uh, down here. The, the mean here is a 120. The mean down here is a 99. 99 is on this is down here. So the mean in the early one is down here uh, on the uh, final distribution. Um, thinking ability 103 and normal to superior performance against standard scores. Um, 
standard scores, uh, cognitive efficiency improvements, uh, pre-post audiovisual processing. That's not a great score to start with, but it turns out to be better than you know just the normal adult. And <clears throat> this is really an awful initial score. Uh, delayed recall um, uh, on admission was quite impaired. Uh, 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 this would fall into the level that you'd expect in cognitive decline, not not just somebody, you know. So th this is an awful delayed recall at half hour recall, and uh, they they were a, a kind of a twelve step program that added neurofeedback on top, and the neurofeedback they added was just driven by the phenotype model, not uh, not by uh, alpha theta training as a as a standard neurofeedback protocol. And uh, anyway, the uh, good outcomes, working memory jumped up again, normal to superior. Uh, and and uh, uh, th this was uh, working um, with Crossroads Institute, which was um, uh, the, uh, basically um, uh, the Curtis Cripes uh, clinical operation. We Absolutely. So genes are 50-50, Dr. Murray, is that what you said? And Yeah, I mean, we, we do all these, you know, we really say the gene for alcoholism, the gene for alcoholism. Alcoholism, alcoholism runs in your family because of gene. Um, but, but again, it's, it's about 50% of why an individual tips. The other uh, is the inability to manage family discord. Yeah. Which... You know, families with alcoholics in them—they're—they're—they're they're, they're kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah. and you know, the ones who have a low voltage fast pattern and have seen horrible things because of alcohol happen in the family, maybe a teetotaler, yeah. but they still have that same over arousal pattern, and yeah. they can still uh, re recover their neurocognitive function to a better place with the same kind of training. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, you know. Um, if, if you get somebody with a low voltage fast EEG uh, to agree never to touch a drop of alcohol again, mm -hmm. it, 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 ma it doesn't make them well. No. Yeah. It makes them sober. And that's better than being a, a sloppy drunk. But at the same time, the dry drunk is not a, a good thing either. Uh, yeah. the, um, a low voltage fast EEG deserves the respite of learning how to make alpha. So they can finally chill out, you know. Um, uh, their brain at rest isn't at rest. Yeah, yeah. No, really good point. And if I could expand on that, you know, we're focusing a lot on alcohol, but individual. There are many, many other things that a, a brain such as this could be. And I'm going to air quote naturally attracted to. Um, one of the things I talk about is, you know, what makes an addiction an addiction? Um, and is it, you know, uh, socially or culturally in endorsed? Workaholism, for example, you know, sometimes spouses love that because the more money, sometimes spouses hate it because their partner is absent. The bank loves it. Employers love it, right? But it is a form of addiction. So this is a type of brain that needs some kind of constant um, uh, stimulation. So, you know, we talk about drunks, we, uh, you know, uh, we talk about alcoholics, we talk about drunks, we talk about dry drunks, um, but there's so many other channels uh, that an individual can uh, go down, you know, exercise fanatics, you know, all those type of things. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we're looping into the popular 
um, addictive personality. I, I hate that term, but there is something to, you know, how we're all wired here. Well, like I understand substance, maybe that can be passed on, but behavior like playing the ponies, the slot machines, gambling, that can be passed on, on down or that's, that's what anterior cingulate addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, the anterior cingulate is extremely creative. It will find something else to be addicted to if you stop it from focusing on one thing. Symptom substitution is exactly the game it will play on you. Oh, I won't touch alcohol or drugs or anything like that again. Oh, there's internet yeah. or gambling or ponies or I mean, it, it, it can be addicted to some things we probably can't even come up with as an idea ourselves. You know, yeah. uh, it, it's very creative and yeah. uh, uh, it can also be obsessed with not doing yeah uh the uh the, the akinetic mute is the logical extreme at the other end and both both ends are operated by the same system if it's working well you have cognitive and emotional flexibility that's the anterior cingulate in its prime doing what it should be doing when it's not working you're either locked on or locked off or don't have the ability to control the the on and off but if you're locked on it's like obsessive compulsive um which can give you oppositional defiance as well uh, uh perseverative things if it's locked off it's a motivation lack of initiation anhedonia um and and akinetic mutism as a logical extreme yuri kropotov yeah. put a, a cannula uh, in and the the akinetic mute brought to the lab for uh, for treatment and uh, uh, for a long period of time they were trying to get him to respond to anything you know heat uh, cajoling you know the old mama you know what whatever you could do to get some response and there was no response whatsoever uh, the cannula is implanted uh, they put a little drop of liquid nitrogen bzz, the frontal cingulate is zapped uh frozen and uh whatever his name was popped uh into full interaction talking do with this people at home. <laughs> interacting with folks um uh, it shows exactly where the problem is i don't recommend cannulas being implanted for normal folks uh but you can get at the same spot with a lot of techniques including neurofeedback tms uh, TMS is approved for obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, you have to have the right kind of magnet to point deep enough at it. But, you know, H coil or double cone coil, regular figure eight flat coil won't do it. Um, anyway, we've, we've got lots of approaches that can get there. Uh, DC stem, uh, high density DC stem, uh, you know, the uh, uh, infraslow or infralow frequency training can end up influencing the anterior cingulate really quite well. So uh, there's a lot of techniques um, uh, that are out there. It's just a matter of finding somebody who knows how to use which one of the techniques you're going to be using. If I could loop back before uh, Pete jumps in, just to um, you know what was Jay, Jay was saying at the uh, 
beginning when he was speaking. Um, you know, uh, an analogy that I like to use in terms of, you know, ad addictive behavior, latching onto something is just think about, you know, especially with children, there's a hook in the water. OK, and the hook is going to hook something. It's just a matter of what it hooks first. OK, um, and again, it can hook onto uh, sports and you can have the best, best elite athlete or it could hook onto drugs, you know, uh, in high school, same type of thing. And then again, through the lifespan, you always kind of have that that hook um, unless you train it and um, train it down unsharpen your hook. <laughs> Let's sell some books, Dr. Marie. Uh, how do you dress it in uh, iMinds for the poor souls that have not purchased your book yet? Oh, well, I, I, I oh my goodness. I... Do, do you do you have a book? Oh, oh, well, look behind me. Oh, oh. So we have my my dancing book, the perfect Christmas present. No. Okay, seriously. Thanks for great the Great graphics, I have to say. Great graphics. Up updated, updated. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, the world takes all types, right? I mean, one of the things you have to be really careful about, especially when I'm working with um, uh, children, you know, a, a child comes in uh, because they're, they're too fidgety, over kinetic. I'm like, Let, let's get real here. Okay. There's nothing wrong with kinetic activity. Okay. It's direction versus correction. Okay. You know, give a child something to uh, play with but not something, ah, I'm gone. There we go. They're playing with your camera. I'm back, I'm back. Yeah, but I mean, don't give a kid a projectile. So I mean, half of the things, you know, when we give kids stress balls and things, we create their own problems. So, you know, we have to be wise about how we direct or correct. It, it kind of loops into what I was talking about, even in, in larger addiction, that, that hook in the water. Um, what are we exposing a children to? How are we uh, protecting them? There's nothing, nothing wrong with drive, right? And even, you know, when Jay was talking about the anterior cingulate, you know, to what degree um, do, you, do you take that down? You know, um, <clears throat> when you're an adult, my, my analogy, by the way, when I find a, a hot cingulate um, is a pit bull. Okay. I say there's nothing wrong with the animal per se. It's what the animal is doing. And my most common analogy with parents is if you have a police pit bull who will, you know, jump over waterfalls, climb mountains, et cetera, to catch uh, a criminal, that's its job. That's a really good pit bull. But if you have a pit bull in a schoolyard, you've got a problem. Okay. So where is your Pitbull, how are you directing it? Um, you know, I also talk about the two sides of a, of a coin, right? Again, if you can turn this into drive, Jay, I don't know about you, but the majority of extremely successful entrepreneurs, most MDs, psychologists, elite athletes, they all have a hot cingulate. You know, yes. careful what you're training out. But so does the individual with an extreme eating disorder. You're anorexic. So does uh, do many, many people with very debilitating addictions. So do individuals with OCD um, and different forms of, you know, we even see it a little bit in um, uh, in schizophrenia. So, uh, again, it's yes, look at the phenotype but also look at how it has expressed itself. Um, yep. And to loop back to shameless promotion of the book, I go into great, great 
detail about that, especially with, with children. But my big issue is, you know, the major hook now for most individuals is interactive technology. And that loops in, unfortunately, to exacerbating, sometimes even causing depression, anxiety, insomnia, marital difficulties, erectile dysfunction, blah, blah, I can go on. And I do for almost 600 years. We're in the feedback business, right? So, and we learn from the feedback. Life is feedback. Yeah. And some people don't want to take the time to get the feedback. But dopamine comes in. Is, is That's the positive, you know, thing that you get when you're feeding whatever the addiction is. How does dopamine come into play? I'll take anybody's answer on this. How doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, the the frontal lobe uh, ends up being the location where dopamine has its primary effects in the in the brain. Now, it's frontal, but it's also deep in the frontal, uh, the basal ganglia, uh, nucleus accumbens. Nucleus accumbens is your reward center. It's pleasure, but it's also unpleasure. Notice I didn't say pain, because for some people, pain is not an unpleasure. So... Yeah, it's how you learn about that. But the, uh, that center, uh, the, the movement centers, uh, substantia nigra, where dopamine loss gives you a Parkinsonism. Uh, the, uh, all the frontal basal nuclei require dopamine, but they also require other you know, uh, neurochemistry as well. But that's where you're going to find it. And it's associated with reward. And obviously the nucleus accumbens, but where do we see the nucleus accumbens? It is a closed loop. It's a monopole. It doesn't make surface EEG. You can see the anterior cingulate reflection of it. It's connected to the anterior cingulate. And when the nucleus accumbens fires up to provide acetylcholine to the temporal limbic structures to make memory work, which requires uh, dopamine and other things as well but for memory to work it has to have acetylcholine and when that happens you see a burst of theta at the anterior midline it's a brief burst less than a second long on memory recall task and it's a healthy normal form of theta at the frontal midline it's not tonic persistent theta like ADD it's a brief burst now if you have dopamine problems, you'll see that frontally. Frontocentral uh, theta excess on a tonic basis in the raw EEG is the hallmark of dopamine deficit in kids. And for them, methylphenidate, which is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor, is a good match uh, if you're doing it with pharma. The same neurons that you can control with pharma, the ligand-gated ion channels that you're controlling with the pharma, can be controlled with neurofeedback as well. You can learn to control your theta and change the amount of fat activity as well. Uh, the theta beta early studies uh, that were done. And they actually did a, a, a really nice study. Vince Monastro is a, a brilliant uh, researcher and clinician. And he got a school system uh, to do this. And uh, everybody was tested. The, the people that had a high theta beta ratio uh, were flagged as likely uh, needing to have uh, an intervention for uh, ADD, ADHD type intervention. So all of those kids got methylphenidate 
because that's the drug that was a good match for them. Half of them also got neurofeedback. Six months later, the drugs were taken away. Don't you know the ones who just got the drugs went back to their hyperactive ADD, ADHD ways. The neurofeedback folks were still good. So you can do the neurofeedback at the same time as the meds. Again, you're, you're getting control over the same circuitry with a different mechanism. Every, uh, every uh, neuron has ligand-gated ion channels that meds can lock into and control. They have voltage-gated ion channels that, that uh, uh, neuromodulatory approaches can lock onto and control. So uh, how you choose to intervene, uh, uh, we, we've got a tool belt full of different approaches. Um, it, it's just a matter of finding somebody who knows how to use their tools. Is one of them sleep? <laughs> uh, sleep is foundational. Yeah. Let's just jump in here. You know, numerous studies are now pointing out not just the adults, but children are now getting an average of one less hour sleep a night. Yeah. Um, that is true. not ADHD. <laughs> that yeah. is not. Yeah. You know, that, that for children, that's, uh, yeah, that, that I was going to use some really harsh words, but, um, yeah, that that could even go and affect a development. That's that's a horrible form of deprivation. We talk about how children, you know, uh, are hungry and the poverty associated with with hunger, uh, but also you know the the poverty associated with um, with lack of sleep. Um, well, it, give them Adderall and Ritalin. Yeah, wake them up. Yeah. Um, actually, Jade, would you mind also, one of the things we always talk about dopamine, I also want to interject um, a serotonin, especially yeah. in eating disorders, how uh, food restriction uh, can actually play with serotonin. And yeah. you know, one of the things that a lot of, again, lay people don't get is not eating to an anorexic doesn't feel bad. It feels good. Can yeah. you take us into the brain on that, please? Uh, a, a major source of serotonin is your bowels. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, eating is going to end up interacting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the theta-beta the ratio is no longer uh, a valid way to identify ADD and ADHD. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the two hours less sleep per night is what the actual stats are. In 1999, the effect size was tremendous. The ability to separate one curve from another is the effect size. And this would give you 95 to 98% accuracy identifying normal kids from ADD just with that ratio. Yeah. CZ, theta beta ratio, simple, simple stuff. Yeah. Across time, it's no longer effective. An effect size like this, you get a 50-50 chance at best. So... The theta-beta ratio is no good anymore. Why? Well, here's the original studies clinical group with their mean and standard deviation. Here's the normal with their mean and standard deviation. Their standard deviations didn't even touch. That's how well they separated the two curves. But across time, with two hours less sleep per night now, the theta-beta ratios have been going up for the clinical and the normal group. 
the normal group now is worse than a clinical group was in 1999. Yep. So when you look at their EEG, the amount of theta is up because of drowsiness. In vigilance modeling, uh, they'll, they'll talk about uh, A stages where alpha's at the back of the head and then the front of the head and you're less vigilant with alpha up front and then alpha drops out and, and theta start to happen. Well, by the time you're producing theta, you're in a light stage one drowsiness. And uh, 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 kids with ADD uh, uh, present with less apparent consciousness. There's a measurement called the BIS index. It's a it's a single electrode you put on the forehead. It's concentric. It actually is multiple electrodes on a single pad, uh, uh, concentric electrodes. And, and it looks at the EEG, and uh, it gives you a number from 0 to 100. 100 is wide awake. They can do surgery on you at about 60. Uh, and, and when you're wide awake and conscious, you get a very high number. But ADD kids looking you in the eye saying they're awake uh, have numbers that look like stage one sleep. Uh, they're, they're not awake and alert and focused. They're kind of drowsy, unfocused. And sleep is at the heart of all of this. You know, nowadays there's sleep monitoring technologies. You can monitor sleep with uh, rings and Fitbits and Apple Watches. And uh, goodness knows that, that there's no reason not to know what your sleep is doing. Tracking it allows you uh, to, to know when you need to have an intervention on your sleep. Uh, um, and uh, there, there are... Uh, ways to help fix sleep onset insomnia uh, with neurofeedback. Um, uh, there, there's ways to assist in fragmented sleep. Um, if you have disordered sleep, it, it's, it's time to end up having it figured out. Uh, some people need to get to a sleep lab to have a more formal test, um, but you can also tell whether they have to go to a sleep lab uh, by a 10-minute eyes-closed EEG. Uh, watching how, whether they have a precipitous descent into stage two sleep, uh, which would qualify them as a, uh, uh, in a sleep lab, it's an, called an MSLT, multiple sleep latency test. Uh, it's an afternoon, they bring you in, they hook up only the EEG, not, no respiratory body position, anything like that, just the EEG. And they tell you to go lay down and take a nap. And uh, if you fall asleep faster than five minutes, on the average, and you get five tries, uh, they bring it back because you can't stay awake. You know, normal people take a little while to fall asleep. And if you lay down and clunk into sleep, uh, that, that's not a healthy transition. It's a flag that your sleep at night is not restorative. And they have to then do sleep study to figure it out. What do you have, apneas? Is it obstructive or central apnea? Uh, do you have restless leg syndrome? Uh, is this a circadian rhythm issue? And the monitor technologies will identify circadian rhythm issues real well. You can treat a circadian rhythm issue with bright lights in the morning and melatonin in the evening to try to reset your body clock. The big problem with the circadian rhythm sleep disorder, folks, is that it is a real strong predisposition for later life bipolar. Uh, 
So if you don't treat it and fix it now, when it's a kid problem, they're going to grow into an adult. And bipolar is really not commonly diagnosed in kids because you don't start to see the cycling until they become late teens, 20s, 30s. By then, it becomes obvious that this is a, a cycling bipolar. If I could interject, I think it's it's mis, like grossly misjudged in kids, you know. You, 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 yeah. You're crying and you see a puppy and you're all happy or, you know, you can you're like really, really, you know, kids' moods do go up and down. Um, but one of the things, if I could just go back probably uh, a minute and a half um, into what Jay was sharing before he started to get into the very, you know, serious um, ailments, you know, associated with uh, sleep, uh, just you know, common sense 101. Not that I don't want tons of people coming to my clinic, uh, but for many, many people, turn off your devices two hours before go you go to bed and go to bed one hour earlier. I'd say for many, many people, <laughs> your sleep issue will be yeah. resolved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's actually a handouts from sleep labs called sleep hygiene. Yes. It's not taking a shower before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. You know, that it, it, it's, is, is your room truly darkened? Mm -hmm. You might need to have blackout shades or curtains and actually to get the room dark enough not to be uh, awakened at a level uh, by the light. Uh, is your alarm clock a bright, flashy, white or red light facing right at you, blinking every second? Uh, the, the, those kinds of things are disruptive at a, at a subconscious level to the quality of your sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the room temperature? When did you eat last? Uh, were you consuming alcohol or something else? Um, all of these sleep hygiene things are, are uh, common handouts from the sleep lab, and you can get them online. Uh, Pittsburgh Sleep Lab is a, a really good one. Uh, the P Pittsburgh Sleep Inventory is a, a self-report, very, very brief self-report that clinicians can use to learn uh, about the client's uh, self-reported sleep issues. And it'll, it'll, you know, surprise you when you come in, if you have that as a routine part of your initial screening, uh, oh, well, gee, you got a sleep problem, you know, uh, a foundational thing. Now, if they have a sleep problem and you're doing neurofeedback, they're not going to have a good learning curve. You know, do you want to pay twice as much as you should for your neurofeedback? Well, don't sleep well, you know. At night, you, you consolidate memory. I learned X amount from my neurofeedback session today on how to operate my brain that I've been fumbling around with uh, all these years. And, uh, and that X amount I took to, to go to sleep. And if I sleep well, my slow wave sleep early in the night will grow dendritic connections and sprouts. And then my REM will play back the memories of how I messed with my brain in my session. And that will long-term potentiate them. If I don't sleep well, X divided by two comes out in the morning. I learned half of what I should have learned. Uh, maybe even X divided by three if I'm really not sleeping well. So the, the amount that you consolidate is 
related to your quality of sleep, how much slow wave, how much REM. And all these sleep tracking devices monitor very, very nicely, and they'll differentiate slow wave sleep and REM and light sleep and awake time and all of that. And it's, it's good to track it. And, um, uh, you know, again, the technologies are uh, relatively inexpensive. A little aside here, um, piggybacking on something that Jay said, um, one of the things years and years and years ago, we made a big change. Um, you know, a lot of parents don't want their kids me missing school to uh, go to, <clears throat> excuse me, neurotherapy. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so we used to, you know, be open late at night and, and do after school training. Um, we don't do that anymore. Uh, we found that working with children um, after uh, six o'clock at night, the, the treatment just isn't that effective. They're too tired. So in fact, our last appointment is, is four to five. If I could go back in time and be a parent all over again, I think two things I would do is get, get a baseline done and then take advantage of this technology where to be a good parent, you have to monitor how much your, your kid's sleeping. I don't want to be too much big brother, but whether it's a ring or a watch or something, shouldn't a parent know how much their kid's sleeping? Because that's going to affect them for for the rest of their life. Yeah, but careful. I mean, the other, you know, I, I keep on going back to basics. Don't send your kid to bed with their phone, right? Um, check in on, you know, uh, adolescence, um, you know, homework, uh, staying up all night doing homework and not sleeping. Yeah, you hand in the piece of paper, but you haven't learned anything. So I think, you know, before we get into all this monitoring, I think we need to bring back a whole lot of common sense. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, Jay, I don't, I, I know you're very, very pro uh, monitoring, um, but I, I would say get to know uh, your body, start to be in tune with your body. I mean, we talk a lot about the neural, but also the bio. I'm really for teaching people to be more in tune with the biological signaling of their body. If they want to get information to start, as we say, to get the baselines, by all means. Uh, but, you know, with all due respect to Jay, I'm not a huge fan of uh, parents, you know, having monitoring systems on their kids um, all, all, all through their childhood, because the child will always then rely on external messaging as opposed to, gee, shuck, I didn't sleep well last night. I feel tired. Tonight, I'm going to go to bed a little bit earlier. So I, I guess, you know, we're, we're talking about balance here. We're talking about balance. A lot of sleep difficulties that are clinical aren't something at the level of awareness for the individual. Mm -hmm. If you ask them, they say, oh, I sleep fine. Yeah, the non-restorative sleep. The actual sleep. data ends up showing them waking up repeatedly enough to breathe, enough to get some oxygen. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're chronically sleepy during the day because they had apnea at night and they weren't aware of it at all. Yeah. And, uh, so the, the, the monitoring does come in real handy. And uh, 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 I have to say that the cell phone uh, or tablet or computer the uh, bedside ends up being a big problem. The worst I could do, the worst I could do as a kid was a D cell flashlight and a book under the covers, you know, and, and that doesn't have the interactive nature of what these, you know, the, the networks of kids, 
if I text little Johnny right now at 11 at night, and little Johnny went to bed at 10, like the parents wanted him to, or 9 or something, and I text them their phone or their tablet or something, beeps, and that wakes them up, and then I'm starting to doze off, but they, little Johnny will text back. And that, that, that reverberating, reawakening, maybe five or six person chat uh, ends up having everybody up till three in the morning. Um, with, yeah, it's it's not know, just the, the 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 staying awake. You're playing with arousal templates. Uh, you're you're playing with a temporal sequencing. Uh, people are are staying awake or trying to stay awake for the response. So it's much more um, than than a noise waking somebody. It's yeah. it's it's the response. Yeah, it, it it's uh, again I go into a lot of that detail uh, in the book. Yeah, so. Well, I guess the worst wasn't actually just the flashlight. I, I had a radio that would pull in from Fargo, WLS, and Wolfman Jack at night. So I, I, I did I did go to bed with Wolf, Wolfman Jack. Uh, <laughs> I read by the streetlight. I, I had a light, you know, a, a lamp, and I'd be up by the window. <laughs> I, 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 I kept my... My reading material was underneath my mattress. Was it Dr. <laughs> Marie Swingle, Jake Gonkelman. Another riveting episode of the NeuroNoodle Network Neurofeedback Podcast that starts with Ozempic that goes all the way to sleep, to kids, to tracking. I'm sure we'll do this again. Around Thanks, the world. guys. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> give, the, give the pooch a bone. <laughs> uh he, he's got what's called yak cheese Ooh. and i didn't know you could milk a yak much less <laughs> make cheese out of it but this stuff is processed into something that's hard like a bone uh. and if you drop it on your foot you hurt your toe i mean yeah. and and it, it's it's a it's about an inch and a half uh, uh square extruded piece and uh, maybe six, eight inches long. And it will take him about two hours of devoted chewing to chew it down to a stub. And uh, and he'll walk around with it like a stub of a cigar or yeah. sticking out on the side of the mouth. He'll have that <laughs> as he trots around the house. But it, quite, it gets him quiet, not right at the first, because he'll walk around. Sometimes he tries to bury it which is not a good thing in the house. There's no floor to bury it in the house, uh, the corners of the couch or whatever. Um, but then uh, he'll bring it to me. And then, you know, I don't know if you saw me throwing it out back into the room. It clunked on the floor for him to go get it. Yeah. But eventually he's, he realizes he's going to chew it. And then for two hours, he's focused. Don't so, get him addicted. Uh, I just didn't get it started early enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Marie. Addicted to yak cheese. <laughs> yak, yak cheese. That's usually after my 12th beer. All right, guys. <laughs> see you next week. Bye. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. 